Welcome to another episode of the Pivoted Success Podcast featuring Sean Cochran from TCC Canada and myself, Jared Goldsmith from ESAC's Virtual Events. We're very pleased today to be welcoming two of the leading membership team of the Ottawa Network for Education, Heather Norris and Albert Wong. Thank you so much for joining us, folks. Thanks, Thanks for having us. Thanks, Sean. So let's talk a little bit about, you know, we love having multiple people on stage from the same organization, so we could ask you both the same question. Let's talk a little bit about you, Heather. You know, talk a bit about who are you? What's your background about? We'll ask the same question to Albert, and then we'll ask what Omphi's all about. Sure, absolutely. So um, I have quite a varied history working in diverse sectors from uh, healthcare, so public, private, not-for-profit sector experience. Um, I've been in the not-for-profit sector now for probably about 12 to 15 years mm -hmm. and um, really sort of entrenched in supporting these local community organizations that provide the necessary programs and services that our communities need to be vibrant and relevant. I wasn't someone who set out on my professional journey thinking or planning to work for registered charities or in the not-for-profit sector. But what I was able to do uh, is build a lot of diverse skills and expertise along the way from working in the public and the private sector that I was then able to bring into and integrate into working with and supporting the not-for-profit sector, which is uh, such an incredibly important sector in our communities. And also I think a really important part of the economic engine of our communities, because it is a large sector, employs a lot of people, provides a lot of programs uh, and services. Uh, and like I said, the necessary programs and services that our communities need from arts and culture um, sports and recreation, education, um, a real gamut of the services that we need that people access, some people every day on a regular basis, but don't necessarily think or know that they're accessing a service that's provided through a registered charity or not-for-profit organization. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm very pleased to hear you bring up the word community because that really is at the heart of what all of us strive to be part of and engage with. So thank you very much, Heather. Uh, Albert, same question. Yeah, similar to Heather, I've had sort of a, a, a variety of roles prior to arriving at Onfi. Uh, I've worked in the private sector and the public sector. Um, I actually grew up in Ottawa and I went to Nepean High School. And uh, by trade, I became a chartered accountant. And so I was in accounting for about 10 years um, and tried different industries. And it, it just came back to nonprofit, which is what we're in right now. This is my favorite sector. It's uh, a joy to be helping, uh, working with the community, helping kids, you know, achieve their dreams. Um, and I get to meet amazing people like like you guys out here just working in the community. So thanks for having us. Oh, thank you, Albert. I mean, I, it's a very different feel from sitting behind a file working on a tax return, let's say, being an accountant versus creating programs and activities that change people's lives and shaping the, the future of children. So it's, it's a good lead in actually. So let's start with you, Albert. What is Onfi all about from your perspective? And then we'll hear from Heather. Yeah. Okay. So, on, well, from my perspective, Onfi, we address so many needs uh, of, of our community for, through our K-12 schools. I'll focus a little bit more on the junior achievement aspect because I know Heather's got uh, the whole purview of Onfi. But for junior achievement, for example, it's really about connecting um, 
our volunteers and experts in the community into the school system to help youth learn about um, business skills, uh, financial literacy, different types of careers they could pursue. So it's really um, exposing students to career paths that they may never have considered before. I mean, mm -hmm. when I was in, in high school, I could probably name you off 20 jobs, <laughs> really. And, and I was supposed to choose my career out of that. So guess what? I picked one of those 20 jobs. But we know there's like tens of thousands of jobs and new occupations like coming up all the time. So really, to me, on fees, I think, you know, I think we're like, um, we're, we're kind of a community connector and we have like our special sauce is really getting um, connecting the community with the school system, right? Like we have a special place and I, I don't think anyone does it like we can do it. Yeah, and what is the Junior Achievement Program, Albert? Yeah, so Junior Achievement, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's actually that's international, uh, but it's also delivered in across Canada. So in Ottawa, uh, JA Ottawa, we deliver hands-on experiential programs where volunteers connect directly with the students and teach students practical, useful skills, such as how to build a business plan, how to build a personal budget, how to save, how to invest, um, and then also talk about different types of career opportunities uh, and educational paths. Um, and we've been doing this with Onfi. Onfi's been doing JA for about 20, since 2012. Um, but JA has been in Ottawa since the 80s. And uh, JA also exists in Canada since 1955 through JA Canada. Okay. Yeah. It sounds like a program I wish they had when I was a student. Who knows where we would have been right now. Heather, uh, let's talk about maybe the broader picture of what the Ottawa Network for Education is all about. Absolutely. Um, of course, I'm likely a little bit biased because I think we're a bit of a diamond in the rough. Um, and I really do appreciate the opportunity for you to have us today because we always like to share um, our information and what our organization does. So with ONFI, we fuel kids and ignite learning, making sure that uh, all children in Ottawa have an equal start every school day. So we are a charitable organization and we collaborate with partners from education, business, government and the community. We develop programs for kindergarten to grade, grade 12 students. And we do that in partnership with the four public school boards. So our programs are within the school boards. We support children and youth in English and French. And no other community organization has the ability or reach that we have to provide these much needed programs across the region. So right now, we currently have eight programs running within the schools. Um, as Albert mentioned, Junior Achievement is one of our eight programs run by our dedicated team of staff and volunteers. Now, as Albert mentioned, we address a number of diverse issues and challenges under three pillars. So health and well-being, uh, learning and career readiness. Uh, programs. So within our work, um, as a registered charity, we need to fundraise all year, every year. So we, we raise about a million dollars annually from the community. And in a traditional year, we recruit, train and place over 3,000 volunteers to support the work that we do um, within the schools. Let's, let's talk about um, how you were both affected by COVID. Let's talk about the personal side first. And then we could talk about how the organization was affected. So Heather, let's start with you. If, if you wish to share some of your personal thoughts about um, dealing with COVID. Absolutely. So I think, you know, as we often hear, and I can certainly attest to in my own experience is 
we are all riding this wave together, but I think we're all in a different boat and everybody's experience is a little bit different. Um, so for myself, I live alone. So it's a little bit of an easier transition for me to be working remotely because I don't have um, to manage other sort of personal and, and family sort of responsibilities within my own home. Um, so that piece, I can be sort of as efficient working from home as I can be uh, at the office. Uh, but certainly, like everybody else, I miss the social interaction. I am a very social person. So I miss the events that I was going to, you know, haven't been able to see uh, family and gather in that way, but have certainly really endeavored to jump into and use uh, use technology to connect with my family virtually um, to keep connected and check in and make sure that uh, that everybody is doing okay. Yeah, speaking of connections, my my uh, nephew had his bar mitzvah last week on Zoom, and it was uh, I couldn't go there because they closed the borders. So it's uh, oh yeah, wow. it's something. Uh, Albert, over to you. How are you and your family affected by COVID? Yeah, um, similar to Heather. Like I'm a pretty uh, uh, extroverted person, and I liked those events that we used to you know get to see each other at, like the ESACs. Um, so when the you know, when those events uh, had to go online, I found that I was actually having more time at home with my wife. So that actually helped a little bit there to be able to focus inwards. Um, I, I'm really active in playing tennis. So last summer was a pretty good tennis. We were able to uh, play tennis and still social distance. But now with uh, the third lockdown, everything is closed. So that's, for me, I'm having um, more difficulty, I guess, in staying in shape. So I'm just uh, incorporating more daily walks where I can. Yeah. Um, and in terms of working from home, uh, when I was in the high tech sector, I worked from home for a couple of years. So it wasn't uh, too much of a, a change to go back to working from home. So with the drastic change we sort of all experienced, no matter what sort of sector we were in or where we were, um, Basically, I mean, we hear a lot about some of the hardest hit industries like uh, travel and tourism and the retail sector and things like that. But I would imagine the not-for-profit um, area would be pretty bad as well in terms of the impact because I can only imagine the amount of live events and other opportunities for you to do outreach, fundraising and all that sort of stuff that kind of just disappeared overnight. Yeah, that's a great question. So I I can honestly say that we are one incredibly grateful organization and have had and received a relatively a really positive response during COVID. Um, unlike some of our other um, not-for-profit and charitable organizations in the community, particularly ones that focus on um, group type membership events, so uh, arts and culture sports and recreation, um, those organizations obviously are having, uh, are, are having a tough time. I would say overall as an organization, um, we've, we've had a successful year. It hasn't been easy, but our success in part um, has come from the ability of our staff to be nimble and agile and resilient in maneuvering our programs and maneuvering programs successfully that have then lent themselves to uh, opportunities to be able to apply for COVID response emergency funding. Um, certainly our school breakfast program, as we headed into COVID response and started creating school breakfast 
of replacement kits being delivered in the community. While the need food insecurity is growing, the need is great, but it also means that at the same time, we've experienced some significant support for food security and from all levels this past year. So um, from the provincial government, so from different levels of government, increased funding came in this year. And we actually witnessed an unprecedented increase in individual donors this past year. Um, donor Donations coming in to support all of our programs, but in a large part for the breakfast program and um, have brought in donors, uh, new donors who weren't uh, previously supporting um, and from different areas, like a lot of uh, support from the education community, you know, teachers and parents and, and um, EAs and uh, people looking to to us to continue to support um, and engage with their students. So we have found ourselves in, in again, a, a unique um, and in a grateful position because one of the challenges that we face is also one of our greatest opportunities, which is the fact that we are a unique organization that has eight different programs. And the challenge that creates is it also means that we're fundraising all year, every year for eight different programs and eight different issues. Uh, but it also, in an environment like this, lend it, itself to the fact that we're not a single issue organization. And if you're a single issue organization right now, and if you happen to be one of those organizations that can't function or execute or maneuver, um, you know, just in terms of what you're able to do in this environment, uh, it's a lot more challenging. And um, we have all eight of our programs have successfully maneuvered. Uh, not only to respond in the COVID environment in and out of schools, um, and most of them are piloting uh, new uh, needs identified by by teachers and schools. So uh, we're we've been very grateful that way. Um, but I can also honestly say, you know, we we do experience and have significant COVID fatigue. We are our entire team is we're we're uh, we're agile and resilient, but we're also tired. <laughs> The maneuvering has been constant. The pace of change has uh, has been constant. And we're doing a phenomenal job at keeping up, um, but also look for that light at the end of the tunnel. Well, you know, no uh, kidding. Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Sean. I was just going to say, no kidding, with the fatigue and the intensity, especially with the sort of almost daily changes that we're sort of thrown into when you think you're over the worst of it and then, oh, a third wave. Oh, no. What do you mean? You said two and we were done. But all those sorts of things. But for you, I mean, it's so great to hear that the community has been supportive and still you've seen even more uh, from sort of independent donors and things like that, because it's nice to see people supporting everybody during these hard times, especially when you're able to. So if you could take us back to the beginning, sort of mid-March, you probably had a bunch of events planned out that you're gonna be going to and all those sorts of things. Tell us how that transition was for you and how quickly you were able to sort of spin and rotate and figure out what to do. Yeah, so one of the things that I also like to share just as a reminder is that prior to March 2020 when COVID hit, we had actually started that school year in September with unprecedented roving school strikes that had never happened before across all four school boards. So from September to March, we were already in this continuous mode of, okay, this school board is closed today, so we need to adjust our programs. 
Um, so we were already acting nimbly and agile um, towards the, the school board and the teacher needs by the time March hit. Um, I think, you know, again, our breakfast program being our largest program and food security being so important, within two weeks of the extended school closure in March, we started executing school breakfast replacement kits with 50 local community partners, um, local food agencies and community houses to get kits out into the community. We knew that when the schools quit, or sorry, closed, that it wasn't a question of were we or weren't we going off for a program, it's how are we going to get it out there and how quickly can we do that. And at the same time, all of our other programs moved very quickly to virtual and digital formats. Um, so we were really able to sort of successfully continue supporting teachers and students with volunteers um, and doing it in a virtual way, continuing to successfully run the JA program with mentors virtually now who no longer have to drive or commute to get to um, supporting a program um, and finding some efficiencies, you know, doing virtual coding. Um, we have an indoor classroom garden tower program and the towers couldn't run this year, but we just launched a windowsill garden program and we mailed seed kits out to hundreds of like teachers and students so that they could grow at home and then plant in their gardens this summer and continue growing. So we've really benefited from the creativity and the innovation amongst our staff team uh, and their ability to really execute on um, keeping these programs relevant and responding to the need to meet students where they are. So okay. we really are making the shift from working and meeting students just in the schools during class time to now needing to meet them where they are if they're at home or. Well, in, in retrospect, you know, having to go through the school closures because of the strike and then COVID. So you're somewhat already familiar with schools closed. Here's what we have to do now, let's say for the breakfast program or JA. So I, I guess in retrospect, it's probably good practice. But um, let's talk, uh, Albert, how have you pivoted for success? Let's, let's talk about your personal side now. Like you said you life. used to work from home when you were in the high tech industry. Mm -hmm. What have you been doing differently this time around? Yeah, actually, that is a great question. Um, so being having to be home more often, right? It's, it's given me more time to focus on things that I've not been focusing on. So uh, one of it is, is uh, mindset and uh, working on kind of like personal development. So, so now being at home, I focus more on starting the day out with a certain practice of, of gratitude and meditation to start the day to make sure that I'm centered because we know that when we when we turn that computer on, there's just lots of things to do, and we're always you know giving a lot of our our energy and focus out. That it's important that we have to fill our tank every day. So I, I start that first thing in the morning, and I try to incorporate certain things um, like getting out and doing some walking around the neighborhood, and getting some fresh air into the system. Because you know if we don't do that, if we don't schedule the time, I've realized this. If I didn't schedule a time to go out for a walk. I'd basically be at my computer for like eight to 10 hours a day. Uh, yeah. So that's some things I've been focusing on more is what, what can I do to look after my own health? And so, yeah. How about you, Heather? Like, uh, have you changed any of your mind frames to be able to work from home? Like you're in front of your computer all day. 
Absolutely. So I can, you know, comfortably share what I'm sure so many people have experienced. So when I started working from home, I started off with my laptop at my kitchen island and then very quickly started to get a sore back. So then I moved to my dining room table where I was for a couple months because I don't know if you'll remember back when COVID started, it was incredibly difficult to find and buy any office furniture. So I didn't have, um, in my life, I've moved quite a few times and I have always had an office set up until I moved back to Ottawa a couple of years ago. And so it was the one time that I actually needed it and didn't have a full setup. So it was probably close to six months in before I actually got properly set up with a desk, with a chair um, to set myself up more ergonomically. Um, and what was happening is particularly when I was set up at my dining room table early on, it's very, very difficult to disconnect from work because if your computer is there, and if you leave it on, you're always hearing it go off. So I, I started implementing for myself, shutting down at the end of the day, but particularly on Fridays, I'd load my laptop and all my books into a little basket and I'd put it in the closet for the weekend so that I could find space away from, from work. Now that I've been able to set up a separate office space that I can you know, shut down and move to a different room at the end of the day. Um, that's helped. I also, um, I'm a runner. I run outside all year. So the good thing is that COVID or no COVID, I've still been able to sort of maintain. It's really important for me, for my own sort of mental health and wellness to be able to continue to get that exercise. Also important for me to be checking in with others. So, you know, my mom lives alone. So I FaceTime with her every single night and I check in and say, hey, how you doing? <laughs> how did your day go? And um, and I find throughout my days and weeks, I check in with different friends. I check in with different colleagues and coworkers just randomly just to check in and say, you know, hey, how are, how are you doing? How are you and your family? Um, you know, so that's just all part of, you know, trying to also it supports, you know, my well-being. Well, you know, to just to be able to disconnect, I think that's such a valuable aspect because I think most of the mental health that people are realizing is we're working so much more than we ever have been. No traffic. You don't have to find a parking spot or leave early or late. You just back-to-back -back meetings so much more productive that we didn't realize it was happening to us. And to be able to physically unplug and throw your stuff in the closet and then or maybe not throw, but you know, drop it, leave it in the closet, and then come back in a few days. That is a real good suggestion. That that's a really nice idea, Heather, to to disconnect. I think too. One of the other things that changed, I, I know for me, and and uh, a lot of changes for our staff is also being mindful. We've done a lot of work this year in supporting and building our internal culture of wellness and supporting our our employees and our team. Um, and you know, certainly. Um, we've got a whole myriad of complexities with people working at home, right? We've got, you know, people who are looking after and caring for, we have people who live with or um, people who are essential frontline workers. Mm -hmm. We have employees who have kids at home of all ages. And we have a number of our staff, probably a third of our staff right now who have public school age children at home where they're doing the trifecta of working parenting and teaching during the day. And for me, how that transpires is we offer and want that flexibility for our staff to be able to 
plan their schedule in a way that works for them to help them manage that home and the personal and the professional balance. But what that means is I sometimes have weeks where some staff come online really early in the morning because they want to get a couple hours in before, you know, before their kids are up and active. Um, you know, then they might be on late in the evening after their kids are going to bed. Um, and that's great because we're providing some flexibility and it's really important um, now more than ever, I think, to be able to do that. But it also means that um, I'm receiving emails and a workload that can run from four or five in the morning till 10 or 11 at night. So I, um, in my role, I also had to be very mindful and very strategic because um, I recognize that while they have to work some some off hours, I also need to be responsive to some of uh, of their needs that come up that are important during right. that time. But at the same time, managing it in a way that you know makes sense and doesn't have me sort of burning the candle at both ends all day every day yeah. when everybody's working such varied schedules. Well, Heather, thank you for sharing like, how you have helped others to adapt. Uh, for your staff. Albert, let's let's ask the question for you. Uh, and as it relates to, the, say, some of the other JA mentors or even the students, how have you helped them to adapt to COVID? Absolutely. I think, so prior to COVID, our traditional JA program model has always been volunteers in the classrooms with the students. So having that, you know, face-to-face -face time, the personal relationships, it's, it's hard to match that. So when when the schools uh, were closed, we didn't want the students to miss out on those continued opportunities. And we heard from our volunteers themselves saying, we love to volunteer and we actually miss doing that, but we just can't, um, can't leave right now. So what JA did is, is our maneuvering was something that we've been doing across JA Canada is that we were moving our programs to virtual. So that basically encompasses having volunteers, um, for instance, Google Meet, right into the classrooms with the students and taking them through uh, online activities with the students or also sharing their own career paths and their own stories. Um, so the way we've been able to help others is really just to make that connection again, because that's something that is, you, you just can't, it's hard to describe how powerful that is. Like Jared, you know this yourself and Sean too. Sean, you're an, a student in the J Company program. When you have mentors, helping the next generation, right? That's inspiring. It's inspiring for the mentors to be able to give back. And so many volunteers will say they get so much more out of volunteering. And then the students, example, students are, are have told me the reason they've, they've changed what they're studying in school or have chosen to create a business is because their experience in the JA program. So we never wanted to lose those opportunities for the students. So really just finding that way to connect them virtually is, is the way we've helped others. It probably helps too, I imagine, at least with the sort of generation of children we have now, is they're also well-versed when it comes to technology. So they can probably do circles around most of us when it comes to the, the ins and outs of a lot of these technologies. So have you found the sort of uptick from the students especially has been pretty good considering it was a complete shift from before? Well, partly yes and partly no. The technology is, is not an issue with the students. But given the challenges of being in school and then out of school again and then learning from home it's a super long day for the students and it's very discouraging for students not to be able to see their friends so they're struggling like we are um, but only they're teenagers and younger so you can only imagine the additional types of struggles that they're facing so you know at, 
many teachers tell us like this they don't know what their, their students actually look like because their their, their uh, videos are off so if they were to see them in the store they wouldn't recognize their students um, so there's there's a le level of, of disengagement from students we're seeing for sure and there's um, lots of challenges just within the family units themselves um, so when we see a program like JA company where we had this um, pitch it event um, through the ESAC's virtual events, um, pitch their virtual businesses to um, the audience and judges. You can see the excitement that the students had and how proud they were of the businesses that they created. And this is a program that they can do regardless if the schools are, are open or closed. Um, so that's, I mean, that's, that's very rewarding just to be able to continue to do the work that OnFee does is that we just, we can't lose connection with our community regardless um, if the schools are open or closed. Yeah, it's that connectivity that's, that people are gonna realize um, helped us all get through it in whatever way, shape or form. Heather, let's ask, what, what are you most excited about? That's a great question. Um, I think like everybody, I'm excited to get to the end of the road with this pandemic and get a sense of what our new normal is gonna look like. I think that's exciting. I, I think we have a lot of opportunity right now. One of the things that we haven't been able to do, um, just because we've been so entrenched in a continuous heavy workload, is we have not yet had the time um, and given we're still in the pandemic, we haven't had the time yet to reflect and look back at um, all that's been accomplished, all that's changed, how and what and why things change, what we want to keep that change going forward. Um, and I, I think it's really interesting in this environment because Outside of COVID, you know, not everybody likes change. And generally, if you talk to people, there's a lot of people who would prefer, you know, who prefer things status quo, status quo. And what we've seen this year, and particularly, I, I mean, I can speak for Onfi, is our team who has been so resilient and agile, and even for those who might not think they like change, they really have done an exceptional job adapting um, and moving and maneuvering um, in this environment. So we've sort of been thrust into change management, um, you know, at a very hurried pace. Um, and I don't think we've had time yet to reflect on um, how well people have actually managed through this um, and, and so successfully. I'm also excited because I think what this environment allows us to do is make some pivots and changes that maybe we couldn't before or didn't want to. And now we actually have an opportunity organically to let some stuff go and transition some things. And a year or two from now, maybe nobody's gonna notice that we let that piece go or that or that we maneuvered. So um, I actually think it's, all, it's an exciting time. I know within Onfi we have a lot of creativity and innovation and real empathy for the work that we do. So we're actually working on some vivid visioning for our organization's future. So I don't know what that will look like, but I think it's a really exciting time for us to be brainstorming about the what could be given what we've experienced this last year. Do you think most people are looking forward to working from home once everybody gets the vaccine and we are allowed to associate it again? 
Uh, that's a great question. So we've done a few staff surveys throughout uh, COVID. And I mean, as you can imagine, I think that um, I think we're going to be heading back to some version of a hybrid model of work. So we know that and and similar to my last comment about not everyone liking change. If I talked to on fee colleagues a year and a half ago and asked what they thought about working remotely, there were a lot of people who were adverse, like, no, I'm coming into the office. I can't, you know, I have to be in the office. I can't work at home. Well, all of a sudden, you know, that changed, you know, 360 degrees. And people have become very comfortable um, and very efficient working remotely. However, uh, I do think that people really do miss the social and the networking aspect that comes with being in the office. Um, and I think that's really important. And I think that's one of the challenges that we have going forward is how do we build and keep and retain the on-fee culture that we had when we were a social group of 25 people working in an office yeah. to now having this hybrid model or this remote work? Um, that's a piece that I think for us we'll continue to have to, to work on. Uh, we're an organization that does really great potlucks. And uh, we're, let me tell you, and I also like to eat. So we're, we're missing some of those real, you know, um, social at, social aspects. And so I think there is a willingness to want to get back. But I can tell you that from our staff surveys, there isn't anybody so far who said, I want to be back in the office five days a week. Well, once you uh, decide to have a potluck virtually by having people drop off different items at different homes, Maybe you deliver to Orleans. Uh, that's where I live. Uh, Albert, what are you most excited about? Wow, uh, I'm excited about seeing you guys like face to face without a screen in front of me. Personally, I'm looking. I'm, I'm missing the team at Onfi. Like like Heather says, we have an incredible group of individuals. The potlucks are amazing. I can say that for sure. Uh, miss eating lunch with my teammates. Um, I miss being out on the tennis court I'll say it again I mean there's there's so many tennis videos I've watched there's so many things I can do now in my mind but I really actually have to be on the courts to try it out hey, you sent a note uh, potluck hero that, that's a good hashtag I like that one yeah yeah for sure and and of course being like I miss being in I was telling Heather this I miss seeing the kids in the schools and seeing them like behind the scenes running their businesses and, and going through the challenges how are we going to market this product right and, and hearing something the mentor just kind of plants a seed for the students I'm like mm, that's very clever yeah. um so it's going to be nice just to see people again and just be in there and but we do know they'll probably be a hybrid model that continues for for Jay as well just because we're able to reach like the far regions of Ottawa too and include students from West Carlton, where it might be very difficult for some volunteers to drive out there. Yeah, actually, that's, that's one of the big things I love about all of this is a it's forced everybody into change, because like you said before, we're very resistant to change as people, but we're actually amazing at it when it comes down to it. If you had to do it, well, we can do it, but we just don't want to because it's okay. Pain, right? so, I think it's forced a lot of people to see that sort of remote work, remote life, all this stuff is possible, but we still do or like long for that social interaction because we are social animals. I mean, it, it is something that really is intrinsic uh, among people, but especially with students. And I mean, I always feel worse for the kids because this is so impactful for them because to us, I mean, once you get into your thirties, forties, fifties, another year, all that's just a year. But I mean, in your teens and stuff, a year is pretty drastic. And now we're moving into year two. So my hope is, like you said, Albert, is just some more inclusivity on the outside of this, 
so that we can incorporate people that may not have the ability to travel or the funds to be able to make it out, but still want to be able to participate and can do remotely. So I think it's very exciting for what we can accomplish later once we have the opportunity to choose what we do rather than be sort of forced upon us, right? Speaking of choice, let's, let's talk about putting your, uh, your future hat on about uh, the organization's future. Heather, let's look uh, maybe a year down the road from now. So a year down the road, I think and expect that we're still going to be very much, um, as Albert mentioned, in this hybrid model of having mentors and volunteers, both supporting our programs virtually and hopefully in class. I think what's been a really unique experience this year as well is um, the fact that not only have we maneuvered our programs in this environment, but almost every program this year has also piloted something new within their program based on new needs. So it's been a critical year for us to, um, to be responsive to the needs of the students and teachers. And so what I think we're going to see a year from now is that a pilot that we started you know, with one school board is gonna have interest from the other school boards. And I think that we're gonna see sort of that expansion continue, um, hopefully on the success of these pilots. I think that what we're also seeing is that the needs um, continue to grow. Um, and so while we're able to offer virtual support, again, it allows us to meet students where they are and not just if they're sitting in a classroom with their teacher in class. So I think you're going to see us um, looking for opportunities um, and partnerships and um, really looking to meet the students and youth where they are um, to continue to provide, you know, the, the necessary supports for their student well-being and student success. Mm -hmm. Albert, what about the JA program in a year from now? How do you envision that to look like? Yeah, actually, because we've tried many different things, um, I would say that we're going to see the JA Pitch It to Win It event come back in the second year, for sure. Um, we're going to see the programs that are the most in, in need uh, and to, to continue on. So we're going to learn what's worked. Uh, we're always gathering feedback from our teachers and students and mentors to see what we can improve. Mm -hmm. And the programs that just aren't receiving the pickup for whatever challenges we're seeing, we're, we're not going to be able to put as much, as much time into that because all of our resources are so stretched right now. You really have to focus in on where you get the biggest impact and the best pickup. So it's been a year of, of testing things. As Heather said, we're all piloting um, really new initiatives and we're learning some really cool things out of it. So right. I'd say JA, um, we're gonna be strong, but we might have a different menu of programs than volunteers are used to seeing. Right. What about some words of wisdom for some for people who are listening or watching today? Albert, let's, uh, let's ask, bring that over to you. Um, I, I think back to actually the words of wisdom that the, the seven entrepreneurial judges had for the students. And I think it applies to many of us. Um, think, um, you know, don't be afraid to try new things. And if it doesn't work out the first time, right, just see what you can learn from that experience and don't mm -hmm. give up so readily. Um, talk to people, ask people questions, you know, get feedback from your customers, your, your volunteers. Um, people are really willing to have a virtual coffee with you, right? You just ask them for some time. 
um, as well as make sure you do make sure you do your research and understand your finance as well. Um, aside from that, it's just um, yeah, just just continue continue to try things and don't be don't be afraid of failure. We got to em embrace that failure because that change that you can um, you can really learn from that and apply it to the future. Absolutely. Well, I love that, Albert, too, because I find as entrepreneurs and things like that, everybody looks at failure as proper failure. Whereas if you're a hockey player or something like that, every time you miss the net, that's probably practice to get better, to get more accurate, to get wherever, which is really, as an entrepreneur, what failing is. You have to get over that mindset that, oh, well, my life's over because I failed at this. And I don't think there's anything in life within reason that uh, you can't sort of move on from once you've gotten over that mistake or that error or whatever it is and learn from it and grow from it, right? And, you know, so often you hear from entrepreneurs who made it big. They sold the Shopify's, they did this, that, but you don't hear about the five times they went bankrupt and the, the 10 businesses that folded. It's all those experiences that, that enabled them to be as successful in the future. And that's a great point, like Sean and Albert, you know, the, the failures, well, are they failures? They're learning experiences. We have to get rid of that stigma. How about you, Heather? What about some words of wisdom for, for those watching? Yeah, I think further to what Albert said too, I think we've talked about a lot of good reasons for people moving forward not to be afraid of change. And maybe in, even instead of that word change, to think of it and look at it as opportunity. And when we, when we embrace opportunity, still some things work more successfully than others, but they're all learning opportunities. Um, I think the other thing that I, that I mentioned earlier around, you know, finding a way or a system um, that works for you to be able to shut down your technology um, and close your work at the end of the day. Um, I've also been someone who's always strongly believed and I do not sleep with my cell phone. Um, and I'm a very good sleeper and get lots of rest. So I highly encourage people not to have their cell phone beside them. Um, I think it's really important for people to be able to give their mind a rest and not hear their, their phone dinging um, at all hours of the day and night. And I think one thing that I've learned particularly during the pandemic is how important it is for everybody to stay connected. And staying connected looks different for everyone, but you need and should find somebody in your network, whether it's a family member, a friend, or a colleague, but somebody that you can just connect with on a regular basis and just you know chat about all the good, chat about all the bad, but somebody that you um, can just, you know, communication and staying connected to somebody else, I think is uh, really key right now too, and really sure. important. I, I would like to share uh, something that Albert posted in the general chat is that, the acronym for FAIL, first attempt in learning. That's brilliant. Mm -hmm. Very, very well done, Albert. So we're coming to near the end of our segment today, but what can the community do to help for the Ottawa Network for Education? Heather? Uh, we are always looking for support and raising the awareness of our programs, of the Onfi name, of all the great work and um, that we're doing with our the children and youth in a partnership with the school boards. Um, I mentioned earlier, we fundraise all year, every year. Um, and I can also say that in, in maneuvering our programs and running a breakfast program, uh, for remote students and in class is uh, very expensive and the needs are great. So we 
Um, we are always welcome to donations and people who want to support um, our organization or one of our programs and volunteers and mentors. So if you think about the school environment, um, almost anything you could think of, we could find a volunteer opportunity if somebody has an expertise in math or science or plays musical instruments, wants to support English as a second language learners, there's all kinds of, uh, of opportunities available. So chances are, if you're looking to volunteer, we can probably find a great fit. Well, actually, I'm not sure if I'm getting back to playing saxophone. I've been playing for 35 years, but because of COVID, eh. Oh, yeah, <laughs> as a little off topic right now. But Albert, uh, what about you? How can somebody, what can the community do to help the Junior Achievement Program? Yeah, it's, it's, it's very much along the same lines. Heather summed it up very, very well. It's to spread 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 the word about JA and ONFI. Um, we need... Um, you know, we need donors and funders, investors and sponsors to support the program so we can continue to uh, run these programs in the community. Um, in terms of mentors and volunteers, there's always a place uh, for people to give back what they, they know um, to the next generation. How those programs look are evolving right now. So certainly just certainly reach out uh, to our organization. Fantastic. Yeah, I've always been such a huge supporter and fan of Bonfi and JA in particular. And even Sean, uh, like we mentioned earlier, went through the JA program when he was younger. Yeah, not just once, but I think three times. So we did the lead up and then the JA company program. We did the international exchange one, I think was the last one I got to do, which was very exciting. We didn't go anywhere, but we just teamed up with another group from another country. But that was very eye-opening for us because it was like, well, what can we export to them and import from them. So it was a very exciting program, especially for high school, where I found a lot of the time it was hard to sort of really engage with something that was interesting in the sort of schooling a lot of the time. So it really sort of touched. And look at me now. I mean, I'm an entrepreneur. So I mean, I think it must have paved the way for that, I would say. Yes, we'll, right. take, full, we'll right take full there. credit, Sean, J.A. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> and and well, I should say congratulations to you, Sean. Congratulations on being uh, nominated for 40 Under 40 this year. Thank yeah. you. Congratulations. Yes, congratulations. Fabulous news. It's all from J.A., obviously. Exactly. Really, the start. So kids out there listening to this, J.A. is the way to go. Um, is there anything else uh, either of you would like to add uh, as we're wrapping up now? I would just add that um, please visit our website, check out Onfi. If you do have any questions, please touch base with us. We are always here and available. Uh, we are always looking um, to connect with new partners in the community. So please uh, check us out and uh, touch base. Well, thank you, Heather. And what is the website and how? what is the link that somebody could reach out and get in touch with you? It, it's onfi, O-N-F-E hyphen rope, R-O-P-E dot C-A. Perfect. Well, thank you so much. Um, Sean, was there any last minute uh, closing? No, that's great. Thanks so much for joining us, guys. We really appreciate it. It's such a nice um, sort of change from some of the other people we've had a chance to talk to because, I mean, it's, it's very business-focused, and this has been very kid-focused, which I think is an area that everybody feels has been – I mean, a really hard uh, time for people during this time, whether it's uh, being stuck at home, not getting to see their friends, or just the general sort of turmoil that is our world right now. So I think it's amazing that there's programs like yours that exist, and I, I think it's incredibly important, like you mentioned, Heather, that the sort of fabric of society. So, I mean, it's really important that we look after these organizations and try and help any way that we can. 
Absolutely. We're all working together to build our next generation of entrepreneurs, philanthropists, teachers. So um, it takes, as you mentioned earlier, Jared, the village to help raise the village and the community to raise a child. So it's all the work that we do together with all of our collaborative partners and stakeholders and funders that uh, make what we do possible. So we're one grateful organization. Fantastic. Keep up the great work. So thank you so much. Today we were joined by Heather Norris and Albert Wong from the Ottawa Network for Education on the Pivoted Success podcast hosted by Sean Cochran from TCC Canada and myself, Jared Goldsmith from ESAC's Virtual Events. Stay safe, everybody. Thank you so much.